You are listening to Episode 3 of Half Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper. Written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 4, St. Cloud Orbital, 2352, February 19. All the restaurants that catered to the flea market crowd were jammed with the end-of-day crowds, so Brill and I went down a couple of levels and found a seafood restaurant that specialized in the local St. Cloud fish. A sign in the window proclaimed, The fish you ate today slept last night in Starvey Bay. Brill and I both laughed. Is that a little too much information, I asked her. It's a little creepy, she agreed, but we went in anyway. The hostess was good. She only took one double take at Brill's height and then seated us in a very pleasant table close to the kitchen, but not on the traffic pattern. Unlike a lot of the orbital restaurants, this one didn't have every square meter jammed with tables, so it felt very open. The walls were life-sized digital murals of various seascapes, probably from St. Cloud itself. All in all, a very tasteful display in spite of the rather tacky commentary on the history of our soon-to-be dinner. Thanks, Brill, I told her when the drink orders were placed, and we settled into the chairs. For what, she asked. I shrugged. Well, I was feeling a bit, I don't know, left out. That's not the right phrase, but something like that. Left out, she prompted. Yeah, when you found me in engineering birthing, I just finished moving and felt a little lost. There wasn't anybody in deck birthing when I left, and nobody in engineering when I got there. I felt like, I don't know, suddenly disconnected somehow. Does that make any sense? Oh, yeah, she said. Our drinks arrived, a nice bottle of white wine from a Dunsany vineyard, and interrupted our conversation for the rigmarole of uncorking and tasting. It was a smooth, dry wine with a nutty aftertaste. It's funny how you get attached to a bunk like that. I know when I moved out of engineering and into chief's quarters, I almost cried. It felt like I was leaving home. She smiled wistfully. Well, when you came in, that meant a lot, so thanks, I told her, awkwardly. The server came to take our orders then, and I picked a grilled aboiba steak. Brillo went for the muta filet. The aboiba is a large, deep-water fish, a fast swimmer, very streamlined. The flesh is dark and has a texture that's more fibrous than flaky. Muda is a sort of cross between a salmon and a sea bass. The restaurant began to fill up slowly around us as the evening crowds began infiltrating the area. So, why didn't you get that jacket? Brill asked after a small pause. You didn't even ask how much it cost. I shrugged. It was tempting, I told her. Back on Gugar, there was a black leather jacket with a beautiful silk lining and silver buckles. I didn't buy that one because it cost more than I had, and it masked three kilos. But I've regretted not buying it every time I put this thing on, I said, indicating my coat. So, aren't you afraid you're going to regret not buying this one? A bit, I told her, but Brichot put his finger on it. She arched her eyebrow in inquiry. I was too far away to hear what he said. He told me, clothes make the man, and then asked if that was the man I wanted to be. And you didn't want to be that man, she asked? I shook my head. It wasn't that. The problem was I just didn't know. There was a certain attraction, of course. It was a spectacular piece. Brill smiled. I have to give you credit. You know quality when you see it. Thanks, I said, but the point is I never really thought that seriously about what I wanted to do, let alone who I wanted to be. When Brichot said that, it was the first time I'd ever considered that I might have a choice in the matter. She nodded sympathetically. So, yeah, I may regret not buying the coat, but... It just felt like I needed to think about the idea of who I want to be before I commit to being the man who wore that coat. <laughs> I snorted. I'm sorry, I must sound like a loon, I said, suddenly very self-conscious. Brill shook her head. Not at all, Ash. You sound like a guy who's getting it together. There's no need to apologize for that. The food arrived then, and we paid attention to it for a few ticks. 
My fish was excellent, grilled to perfection, and simply seasoned with salt and cracked green peppercorns. It came on a bed of sweet sticky rice with steamed broccafleur on the side. The wine matched perfectly. I broke the silence by saying, so what about you? Brill looked startled. What about me? Where are you from? How did you get here? I asked. She took a sip of wine and a bite of fish. You mean like, what's a nice girl like you doing in a place like this? She asked with a giggle. I shrugged and grinned. Sorta. Why is a trained and talented individual like you working as a spacer? Seriously, you've got a master's degree in environmental sciences, right? Good memory, she commented. What do you think I should be doing instead, she asked. Well, I don't know, I said. I, I just wound up here as a last resort. You must have had other options. She picked up her wine glass and looked around the room as if considering how much to tell me. I waited her out. Finally, she seemed to make a decision and put her glass back on the table untasted. You saw how the people reacted earlier, she said softly. I've been tall since I was ten. High school was hell. University was only marginally better. I graduated with a degree in biology and discovered that there were no jobs for Amazon freaks, so I went to grad school. In grad school, I studied closed ecologies, like ships and stations. I got my first quarter share in the mess deck about six or seven stanniers ago and moved up to half share there and took the spec three test in environmental. She paused then. So you jumped the engineering ratings, I prompted. Yes, yeah, she said. With my background, the Spec 3 test was pretty easy. I never did have to learn about engine oil and propulsion systems, she grinned. I knew she was leaving out a bit, but I didn't press. Have you always been on the Lois? Mercy, no, she laughed. The Lois is my third ship. I've been with her for about the last four stanniers. Before that, I was on the William Headley, a 30-kiloton ore hauler that makes the run between here and Diurnia. I started on the Soyukaze. She's a fast packet that made the run of Confederation systems carrying VIPs and light cargo. I made my ratings there, but they didn't have an open Spec 3 slot. The Headley did, so I hired on there. When the berth opened on the Lois, I was ready to change and moved over there as a Spec 3. Worked up to Spec 1 by skipping again. That master's degree came in handy, I commented. She smiled. Mr. Kelly is after me to go to the officer corps. With a degree already, it's relatively easy. They have a special program at the Merchant Academy for people with experience and degrees. Why don't you, I asked. Well, I'd probably have to be a general engineering officer, she explained. Spec 1 is as high as I can go and stay in environmental. I like what I do, and moving up just for the sake of being an officer isn't something I'm interested in. I can see that, I said. But don't you feel like, I don't know, like you've maxed out? She grinned. Never. There's always something new to learn. You know, recently I heard about this screwy idea to mix used algae matrix and sludge, she teased me. I finished eating, and the waiter cleared away. I had a cup of coffee for dessert, but Brill ordered a chocolate something that looked decadent. I looked down and remembered my bag had the sculptures in it. The heron was right on top, wrapped in a bit of folded cloth and secured with a red string. I reached down to get it. I hope you don't mind, I started to say, and looked across the table to where Brill was holding out her hand. She held a small object, wrapped in a bit of folded cloth and secured with a red string. Welcome to the section-ish, she said, offering the cloth-wrapped bundle to me, and when she saw what I held in my hand, she laughed. Oh, too funny, she said. I was going to say, I hope you don't mind that I went back and got you a figure, I told her with a grin, but it looks like I wasn't the only one that took a detour on the way to the head. We traded bundles, and I waited for her to open hers first. They were so spectacular, I couldn't resist, she said. I was looking for something small for you, something that didn't mass a lot. I'm touched, I told her, weighing it in my hand and trying to think of what it might be. She pulled the string and carefully unrolled the cloth, revealing the heron. I thought so, she said. 
wrapping it in her hand and holding it to her chest. It was gone when I went back. You already had it, didn't you? Yeah, I said. I have no idea what you picked for me, though. I can't remember any that stood out. I cast my mind back, trying to think of all the figures I saw, but there were so many of them. Actually, it wasn't on the table, she said. When I went back, the old man pulled it out of a box and handed it to me. It was weird, but it was perfect, so... It's not a whale, is it? I asked. She laughed. Open it and see. I pulled the string and unwrapped it. A perfectly formed dolphin lay in the folds of the cloth. The dark purple shell of its heart gleamed in the light at the restaurant. I stroked the grain with the tip of a finger and felt the smooth surface slide sensuously over my skin. Wow, was all I could get out of my mouth. Do you like it? she asked softly. I nodded and looked at her. Thank you, I said as sincerely as I could. I don't know what else to say. I'm, I'm flattered, I said finally. She smiled and carefully rewrapped her hair and tying the string securely before slipping it into the inside pocket of her jacket. How strange we both went back to the same table, she laughed. But you didn't need to do that, Ish, she finished more seriously. I shook my head. I wanted to. You've gone out of your way to make me feel at home in the section and helped me so much getting my engineman rating. When I saw that heron in your hand, I knew it belonged to you, and it surprised me when you put it back. She gave her head a little shake. I don't usually go in for small bits of this and that, she said, but this, and she patted the pocket, is something very different, and I'll treasure it. Thank you, Ishmael. I think that's the first time anybody's ever given me a gift for hiring them, she added with a grin. I rewrapped my dolphin and tucked it safely into my jacket just as the waiter came back with the tab. It felt odd but good to be paying. I was shocked at the amount, forty creds, but then I remembered how much Pip and I had made in trading. I added a generous tip and we left to head back to the ship. When we got back I went automatically to my old locker and deck berthing and I was surprised to find it empty. I chuckled and headed to engineering. I wonder how often I'll do that, I said to myself. It only took a few ticks to get out of my civvies and into my ship suit. Smiling, I pulled a wrapped dolphin out of my pocket and slipped it into the pocket of my ship suit. The chrono said 2100, so I headed for the gym to try to catch up with Pip. He was just coming out of the showers after his sauna. Hey, he said, did you buy anything good? I got those digitals. Yarn looks best, I told him. I bought a few skeins of samples to show you. Sean says it's good stuff and I trust his judgment on it. He bought like five kilos of it himself. Pip slid into his ship suit and we headed for engineering berthing. What about the dyes, he asked. I shrugged. I don't know. Brill was with me and we talked about it. The appeal of dye would be limited. I'm not sure how useful it would be as a trade good. What about in the empty container, he asked. I shrugged. It doesn't mass much. I don't know how you could get enough to make it worthwhile or even if it would sell. Don't they have dyes on Dunsany? Pip pulled out his tablet. Let me look into that. Dunsany has a lot more textile processing. They may have dyes, but they may value something like the purple or red they make here out of the snails. He made a note. Did I send you a digital of the little sculptures, I asked? He shook his head. I don't think so. What little sculptures? There was a strange guy with just a table. No sign, no nothing. The table was covered with these spectacular little wooden sculptures. All birds, fish, animals, carved out of some kind of local driftwood. I pulled out the dolphin and unwrapped it to show Pip. He stared at it for at least two ticks, but made no move to touch it or pick it up. What is it? he asked, finally. It's a dolphin, I said. No, I know that, doofus, he chuckled. What is it? Some kind of local voodoo? I shrugged. Funny you should ask. That's what I thought when I saw him. If you see the guy, you'll think so even more. He was strange. How much? he asked. Real strange, I replied. He snorted. No, how much were the sculptures? Ten creds, I told him. What'd he start at? Ten creds. It wasn't negotiable. Odd, he said. I'd have started at fifty for these. Are all of them this good? 
Oh, yeah, I said. I bought ten more for trade goods on a whim. They weigh almost nothing, and it seemed like a good investment of a hundred creds. Pip agreed. Interesting. What's the inlay work? He said it was just a bit of shell from the beach, I replied, but whatever it is, every piece I saw was inlaid perfectly, just like this one. How many of these do you think we should take, he asked. Even if he won't dicker, ten creds seems a pretty low price for something of this quality, and it's light enough we could hold on to them if they didn't sell in Dunsany. I bought ten. Well, eleven, really. I gave one to Brillo as a thank-you gift for hiring me. So, you have nine more besides this one, he asked absently, still examining it, but not touching. Ten, I said. Brillo gave me this one. He looked at me then with one raised eyebrow. I hope that's not the local engagement ritual or something, he said wryly. Could be awkward married to the section chief. I laughed. I don't think so. But I probably also blushed. Mercifully, Pip didn't mention it. So, how many should we get? I don't know, I shrugged. I've got a hundred creds in him now. You want to pick up ten of your own? He shrugged. I don't know, he said slowly. He looked at his tablet again and asked, So, what's with the tailor booth? I laughed at the memory. Oh, that was the funniest thing I've seen in a long time. Rousseau is amazing, and he runs the booth like it's an orchestra, and he's conducting. He snaps his fingers, and whatever he wants is immediately done. Sounds impressive, Pip commented. Oh, you'd have to see it to believe it. Did he have anything you like, he asked. Nothing that fit me, I told him. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Chapter 5, St. Cloud Orbital, 2352, February 19. I left Pip going over his notes and looking into the die characteristics for Dunsany. I was tired and it was already late but I needed to release some of the tension that had been building all day, so I headed for the gym. After a dozen laps on the track, I baked myself in the sun and let the day just bleed away. I felt strange. When I first came aboard, I knew as little about what I'd be doing as I did now, perhaps less, because when I interviewed with the captain back on Neris, I didn't even know what job I was applying for, only that it was likely to be dirty, brutal, and unpleasant. 
It turned out to be none of those, and I smiled to myself remembering those early weeks aboard and how much things had changed. Way back in the beginning, I remembered Cookie telling me that I should consider what path I wanted to take before I found myself being forced down a path not of my own choosing. The captain had given me a choice. I could have stayed on the mess deck, except, of course, I couldn't. Somehow, though, it didn't feel like I was being forced down the path, not like the way I was forced off Neris. Lois needed me to move to environmental. Other options were simply irrelevant. That must have been bothering me, because having come to that realization, I suddenly felt much better. Smiling, I headed for the showers, and my bunk. I had duty in the morning, and it would be the last day I woke as a member of the steward division. When I got back to birthing, I discovered that Rebecca Salzman, a Spec 3 in the power section, was one of my new bunkies. She was sprawled in the lower across from me. Rebecca was obviously from a heavy G planet. Where Brilla was tall and willowy, Rebecca was short and powerful. She looked like she could bench-press a flitter, but she had the most delicate and angelic face, heart-shaped with what my mother would have called good structure. She also had the most amazingly sexy voice, halfway between a guttural purr and a growl. It wasn't some affectation, but apparently an artifact of her high-G home planet. She also had a liquid laugh that could turn heads from twenty meters. I liked Rebecca, but I didn't know her that well, other than seeing her in the mess line. Hey, she said with a smile when she saw me come in. I wondered if that was your gear up there. I saw you come in the booth with Brill and heard you transferred into the division. I grinned. Yep, is that okay? I asked, nodding at my bunk. Oh, you bet, she told me. You don't snore, do you? I laughed. I don't know, I told her. Pip's never complained about it. Well, if Pip hasn't complained, you're probably okay, she said, with mock ruefulness and a grin. Who's in here? I asked, indicating the lower under mine. It was the only other bunk taken in the quad. Mitch, she said. You know him? Fitzroy, machinist over in propulsion. Medium height, brown hair, about 25, I asked. Yeah, that's him, she said. Of course, that also describes about half the men on the ship. She grinned then. Whatever happened to tall, dark, and handsome as a description? We laughed, and I thought to myself, it's going to be okay. Morning routine was typical for port duty. Sean Grisham, the duty watchstander, managed to find me in my new bunk. Everybody aboard knew of the crew changes in the works, of course. The details were all up in the air, but everybody knew we'd be leaving St. Cloud with a new hand. As I showered and got ready for work, I wondered if there had been the same air of quiet anticipation just before I joined the ship in Narrows. I shrugged that thought away and beat feet for the galley. By the time I got there, Cookie had already started setting the bread, and I kicked into prep mode. Started with the coffee, moved to the biscuits, and finished with the omelet station. I pulled some of the dried mushrooms we'd gotten on Marguerite and put them in a little warm water to loosen them up for use in omelets before I diced some onion and grated a bit of cheese. All the ingredients went into small prep bowls, so Cookie and I could draw from them when we started making the omelets. So, young Ishmael, Cookie spoke at last. Today may be our last time together. How does it feel? Strange, I told him with a grin. This has been my home for the last five months. Now I kind of feel like I'm moving out. Cookie grinned. You've accomplished much here, and you'll accomplish more, I'm certain, he told me. He finished rolling up the loaves and covered them with clean towels to proof. Most of them would be sandwich bread by the time the day was out. Cookie surprised me by taking a plate and going to the customer side of the omelet station. I wonder, Ishmael, if I might trouble you for an omelet, he said with a smile. Could I have one with some mushrooms and cheese and, and perhaps some of that ham? It was so unexpected. My pleasure, Cookie. You like your omelets a bit loose, right? I said with a smile. He grinned. Just so, Ishmael. Just so. Before long, the morning watch came in, and I took care of them while Cookie enjoyed his breakfast on the mess deck. 
Pip showed up right near the end of breakfast. Good morning, he said. It seems strange to have your bunk empty this morning. <laughs> no stranger than waking up in engineering was for me, I bet, I replied with a grin. You want an omelet? He shook his head. No, thanks. I just came down for coffee and a pastry. I told Biddy I'd go with her to set up the booth this morning. We've already covered our booth fee for the trip, so I'll probably take some more of the stones up and set them out while I'm there. Later this afternoon, I'm going to look for that statue guy and the yarn people you talked with yesterday. Sounds like you've got it planned out pretty well, I told him with a smile. What'd you learn about the dyes? Dunsany has a lot of textiles, and they process a lot of the wool from here, but they grow cotton and flax locally. They have some local dyes, mostly plant-based, but I was right about the red, purple, and black from here. They're highly valued. I don't know how much production is available. If we could get a container load, we could probably sell it. You thinking about Mr. Maxwell's empty container, I asked him. Yeah, he said, but I don't have a line on commercial quantities, so I don't know. What we can get in container loads here is wool, rice, and frozen fish, but the margins are really small on the other end. I recommended that we go ahead and load one container with raw wool. We're already taking three containers as part of a scheduled shipment. Adding one on spec isn't really very expensive. Well, I'll contribute the extra ten kilos I'm getting for moving up to half share, and you've got all of our joint creds, so... Whatever you find in the flea market for trade goods is fine by me, I told him. I'm not going to get back up there before we get underway. Okay, Pip agreed. Between us, we've got a lot of open mass, so I'll probably try to fill it. He slipped into his free-flow analysis mode. I'm leaning toward the yarn. I talked to Sean last night after you left, and he says this is prime yarn, and he told me some things to look for. But 40 kilos is a lot of yarn. I'm not sure we can sell it on Dunsany. How about we commit to 20 kilos of yarn for now, and I'll see if I can find something to diversify the load with. Sounds good, I told him with a smile. I'm trying not to be spoiled by the successes we've had so far. We're bound to throw a deal here soon. <laughs> Pip shrugged ruefully. That's probably truer than I like to admit to myself, he replied. I jerked a thumb at the chronometer. If you're meeting Biddy, you better move it. It was still early when I had the breakfast cleanup done. Cookie shooed me out of the galley, and I headed for the gym. I didn't usually run that early in the day, but with so much uncertainty in the air, I thought I'd better get it in while I could. I'd overheard one of the deck gangs saying that the captain had already gone down to the planet, so we could expect a new hand any time. After my run in a shower, it was still early, so I rambled on down to Environmental to check in. Francis had the duty watch, and he grinned when he saw me. Are you reporting for duty, he asked. I shook my head. No, not yet. Still waiting. Nerve-wracking, isn't it? He asked with a grin. I sighed and rolled my eyes at that. Unbelievably. He laughed. Oh, I believe it. I think almost everybody's been through it at least once. In a way, shipboard promotions are worse than transfers. With a transfer, you pack your gear and you go. Someday you'll have to show me how that works, I told him. How what works, he asked. Transfers. How did Gregor get a new berth without going down to the Union Hall? Francis stopped and looked at me. You're not planning to leave already, are you? No, no, I assured him. It's just one of those mysteries. Why does the captain have to go down to the Union Hall to hire a new hand, but Gregor has a new berth on another ship almost before we dock? Francis laughed. When you get a tick, bring up the communications options on your tablet. I groaned and had a flash of deja vu. All through my first weeks aboard, Pip kept springing little surprises on me, like the day I discovered the ship had a gym after being aboard for weeks. My tablet had a very good schematic of the ship, but I'd never thought to look for it. It was one of those situations where if you didn't know it existed, you never thought to look. I couldn't remember the number of times I'd tripped on that, and I sighed, thinking I'd just tripped on it again. I pulled the tablet out of its holster and pulled up the communications options. At first I didn't see what Francis was talking about, and then I saw Station Net on the bottom of the list. 
I'd noticed it there, of course, whenever we'd been in port, but I'd never looked at it. Pippet even talked about using it to hunt for trade goods. I opened it now and saw the local data options, including a duplicate of the Union Hall data. All the ships in port, and those due in the next few weeks, scrolled across my tablet. I knew from experience that I could dig into that data and look up an amazing array of data on every one of the vessels. Francis came to look over my shoulder. Bring up that opening for Spec 3 and ship handling, he said, pointing out an item on the list. I did, and the full listing popped open on my tablet, just like I were sitting in one of the Union Hall data ports. See that little icon? He pointed out a tiny picture of Sparks. That's the comm link. Select it. When I did, the application for the berth showed up in my screen. It was already filled out with my own data. The words insufficient qualification scrolled across the bottom of the screen. If you were qualified, Francis said, you'd see a link that would let you apply for the berth right there. And I don't have to get down to the hall. We just meet on the station? Or aboard ship, Francis said. It would be easy enough. The Audrey was docked just three locks down. I glanced down when he said was and realized that the listing for A. Moore on the display was marked departed. It gave me an odd feeling. This is really happening, isn't it? I said. Francis smiled and patted me on the shoulder. You're going to be fine-ish. Everybody's nervous when they change jobs. At least you know what you're getting. And he spread his hands to indicate the environmental space around us. And you've already scraped sludge and pulled algae matrix. Those are the two worst jobs we have. The rest is mostly just tedious. Okay, I said, but I'll be glad when this transition period is over. Hey, by this time next month, you'll wonder why you ever took this job. He teased me with a soft punch in the shoulder. I laughed at that and headed back to the galley to set up for lunch. Apparently Cookie had been up to his armpits and pastry dough because I found him pulling darberry and granapple pies from the ovens. Two kettles of soup, potato mushroom, and a spicy-smelling beefalo were ready for the buffet. Expecting a big crowd for lunch, Cookie? I asked him. Ah, Ishmael, between last day and port and the possibility of seeing a new hand, we should have a record turnout for portside lunch and dinner as well, no doubt. I set that thought aside and got on with the lunch drill. I started a fresh urn of coffee and scrubbed down the nectin rotation to get it ready. After that, it was short work to lay out the meats and cheeses for sandwiches and fill a basket with hot biscuits just as the chrono was counting down the final ticks to lunch. I started taking stuff out to the buffet just as the crew started assembling. Cookie had been, as usual, correct, and I lost myself in the routine of lunch duty. That routine was disrupted almost immediately, though, when my tablet bipped with a message from Mr. Maxwell. Attendant Sarah Krug, arriving shuttle lock 12A, 1300. Please escort her aboard. I showed the message to Cookie, who looked at the chrono. You have just time to put on a fresh ship suit and meet our new hand, Ishmael. Leave the rest of luncheon to me. Go, make a good impression, and make her feel welcome. It was probably my imagination, but I could feel the crew's eyes on me as I left the galley and headed for berthing to get changed. Sarah Krug. I wondered what drove a girl to take a job on the mess deck of a freighter, and then I remembered my own first experience as a quarter share and wondered if she even knew what job she'd applied for. I changed hurriedly into a fresh ship suit and looked up the location of the shuttle docks from the station's schematic as I headed for the main lock. Bev had the duty and just winked at me as I checked out. Be nice-ish, she said. He'll be scared. She, I corrected. Oh, she said, in that prompting tone that I really hoped to master myself someday. I gave her the name. Sarah Krug. I'm assuming that's a girl, I said with a grin. Buff chuckled. You're not just another pretty face, are you? I left the lock laughing. The shuttle docks were on the other side of the station, but it only took a few ticks to get around to them. 
As I stationed myself outside the lock at 12A, I had a flashback of stepping off the lock and finding Pip waiting for me at Neris Orbital. I looked around and realized that I was standing in the exact same spot here as he'd been there. Weird. I didn't have long to wait before I heard the locking clamps and the lock started to cycle. I wiped my palms nervously on the sides of my ship suit and watched as about a dozen people in various colored suits exited the lock and peeled off in both directions down the passage. When the throng cleared a bit, I picked out the green and gold of Federated Freight and saw Sarah Krug for the first time. Thanks for listening to Episode 3 of Half Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper. Music is from the Banks of Newfoundland, an Irish jig recorded in September of 1928 by Peter James Conlon and available on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 2.5 License. For website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.durandus.com slash golden.